morning, good morning, good morning. Cool. I have to be able to see you. I can't, I can't talk to you unless I can see you. Otherwise, it gets all jumbled up in my head. Anyway, today is what? Palm Sunday. Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. And you guys have just stolen about half of my message. <laughs> between, between Ann and Julie, it's like great confirmation. Thank you, Lord. Now, this is the Sunday before Easter, and this is what we normally call Palm Sunday. And it's a day that we recognize as the beginning of Passion Week. And that's the last week of Jesus' earthly life. There are accounts of this uh, Palm Sunday day in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And the account of entering Jerusalem on the Sunday before Passover varies just slightly in their description of what happens on that day. One says that the disciples laid their coats on the donkey's back for Jesus to sit on. One says that the followers, the crowd, also threw their cloaks on the ground for the donkey to walk on while they was carrying Jesus into the city. And they speak of the crowd shouting, Hosanna! Well, how many of you know what that word Hosanna actually means? Save? What else? Anything? Anybody else? It actually is an exclamation originally as an appeal to God for deliverance. Now, does that change your mind on why they shouted Hosanna on that day? Deliver us, Lord, deliver us. And it's also used in praise of God or Jesus when that deliverance comes. In, uh, and we see this in Psalm 21, verses 1 through 7. And this is from one of the modern translations. It's that your strength, God, is the king's strength. Helped, he is hollering, Hosanna's. You gave him exactly what he wanted, and you didn't hold back. You filled his arms with gifts, and you gave him a right royal welcome. He wanted a good life, and you gave it to him, and then made it a long life as a bonus. You lifted him high and bright as a cumulus cloud. Did you know what a cumulus cloud is? That's one of those big, fluffy, big thunderstorm-type clouds. The ones that just, you know, just go for on and on forever. And you can dress him in rainbow colors. You pile blessings on him, and you make him glad when you smile. Is it any wonder that the king loves God, that he's sticking with the best? I love that part. He's sticking with the best. Now, that's, of course, talking about King David, but it also means about King Jesus. He's sticking with the best. Now, I want you to remember that the Jews of that time were expecting the Messiah to be a deliverer from the horrors of Roman rule. Remember, we talked about this on Thursday. So their cries of Hosanna on that day were cries for Jesus to rise up and deliver them in an overwhelming defeat of the Roman armies. Not necessarily the overwhelming defeat of the enemy of their souls. They were looking for a deliverer in the fashion of Moses who led the Jews out of slavery from Egypt. But we know now that there was a greater deliverance in store than just being delivered from an enemy army. And then in um, the Gospel of Luke, we see the moment when drawing near to the gates of the city, the Pharisees 
tried to stop the praises of the people. And Jesus said to them, if these held their peace, the very stones would immediately cry out. I have a question. How many of us have always believed that Jesus meant that if the people didn't praise him, the stones along the roadside would? Have we always, haven't we always thought that? Now, remember, in Jesus' time, they, did, they only had what we call the Old Testament to learn from, the books of Moses and the prophets. And each child, mainly the boys, by the time they were about 12 or 13, they would have memorized a lot of them, probably all of them. So that when Jesus made reference to a passage, they would immediately recognize its context. And I think Jesus was alluding to the stones of the temple walls. So listen to this passage then from Habakkuk chapter 2 and think about this while Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. This verse says, You believe your wealth will buy security, putting your family's nest beyond the reach of danger. But by the murders that you have committed, you have shamed your name and forfeited your lives. The very stones in the walls will cry out against you, and the beams of the ceilings will echo the complaint. How many of us have seen that western wall in Jerusalem, what they call the wailing wall from the the temple? How do you think that those, what do you think the sound of those stones crying out would have felt like or sounded like? They're enormous stones not little pebbles along the roadside that would go, Hosanna. These are humongous stones weighing tons and tons. And those voices would have been enormous if they had cried out. How many generations of people had known those stones already? And how many generations of prophets had been killed alongside those walls? By telling the Pharisees the stones would cry out, he wasn't only saying that the stones along the roadway would cry out, Hosanna, our deliverer. Even though the the people didn't know the kind of deliverance that he was offering, he was also saying that the stones of the temple walls would cry out against the Pharisees' hypocrisy. So think about that a minute. The title of my message today is Stones or Praise, so think about that too. However, it wasn't only Hosanna that the people were shouting. They were also giving praise to God for real, for a lot of them had been present at some of the miracles that Jesus had performed, the feeding of the thousands, the raising of Lazarus, and so on. There were shouts of glory and adoration like we have on our palm fronds today, celebration and hallelujah. All the things that we have traditionally thought about that Palm Sunday entrance into Jerusalem. And I'm sure that you've seen parades like Julie was talking about earlier where some dignitary or other was driving past and all the crowds lining the streets were waving banners or flags or hats or other things, even lifting up their children to get a glimpse of the honored person. And it was the same in this scene. Can you imagine the absolute ecstasy that a person might have felt 
if Jesus looked directly at them or their child? Can you imagine that? The eyes of Jesus looking straight at you, looking straight at your child. And this is one of the um, modern versions of Second Chronicles chapter 16. It says, For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. Can you imagine again now what that would feel like to have Jesus looking at you? But were the Pharisees' hearts perfect toward Jesus? Not hardly. A couple of them might have been, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. They were both Pharisees, teachers, members of the council, the Sanhedrin. And they would have immediately recognized the warning that Jesus was giving the religious leaders that day about the stones crying out against them. So it's no wonder that the Pharisees were so intent on taking him down. Contrast that stern warning with all the shouts of praise coming from the, from the crowds and the waving of palm branches and the laying of cloaks. Now, did you know that the use of that action, the laying of cloaks, was meant as a tribute to a conquering hero. Like when the emperors of Rome returned from some battle or other after defeating an enemy. So once again, the gospel writers are showing that the crowds that day were welcoming and cheering and expected hero who would actually defeat the Romans in their city. And aren't we like that sometimes today? We have an expectation of what we think Jesus is supposed to do and how he is supposed to behave towards us in our struggles. Don't we do that? Yeah, we do. I know I do. <laughs> and I can't believe I'm the only one. <laughs> I watched a, a DVD movie this week called The Silence. It, it's a piece of fiction, yeah. But it had a couple of really good messages in it that uh, I just couldn't get over. It was about a couple of Portuguese missionaries that went to Japan in the 1600s and their struggles to bring faith in Jesus to those people. Of course, in the movie, they faced all sorts of hardships and tortures and discouragement, and God seemed to be silent and indifferent to their plight for years. Then toward the end of the movie, one of the priests was forced to deny Jesus in order to save the lives of six of the people that he had been preaching to. In that moment, God broke his silence and spoke to the missionary, saying that he was right there with him to lay down his constructed ideology that would bring him to the truest moment of relationship with Jesus and his suffering on our behalf. And so comforted by the broken silence, the priest did what was required. He stepped on the icon of Jesus. That missionary spent the rest of his life there never once speaking the name of Jesus. For it was the price that he paid for the lives of those six people. His silence 
now became his witness before the Lord of his love for the people. When he died, he was cremated in the fashion of the place, but the camera zoomed in on his hands, which held a teeny tiny little crucifix, signifying that he had not denied Christ in his heart. That so spoke to me. And as we deal with difficult people and situations, and we pray for wisdom and how to handle them, sometimes we need to let go of our preconceived notions and our desire to smack people upside the head and do as the scripture says, be still and know that I am God. There are times when we need to control our human passion for the things of God and allow the Holy Spirit to take over so that we do no damage to the ones who are reading us as their Bibles. There will be times as we grow that we will need all the resolution that God can give us to hold our peace when confronted with, as we've said, messy church or messy people. There are times when our own passion for God will call others and cause others to pull away from us, whether it be pulling away from church or us individually and personally. Those are the times when we need to deposit those people into the hands of God in grace and allow him to send the people they will listen to. Remember that the enemy of our souls names us by our sin, liar, thief, gossip, lazy. But God calls us by the name of Jesus, for we are in him. That's where we gain our strength. That's where we gain the grace to deal with other people. My younger sister, bless her heart, when she, when she was alive, she was the odd one out. And the rest of us would gossip about her something chronic. Until one day the Lord got all over me for that, and I had to repent of it. And I had to make the other girls stop saying those things about her. We were acting just like that devil and calling her by the name of her weaknesses. And as we were doing that, we were not speaking deliverance into her life, nor affording her the grace that we all want for ourselves. When we recognized what we had been doing and stopped when was, was when we really began to see her grow up. And I was reminded of those things this week in our small group. And I'm determined to hold my peace and my peace, as in a peace of my mind, when dealing with difficult people or issues. And instead, begin again to pray for those who I think are not acting right. That's none of my business. My business is to pray for them, for God's mercy and grace to fill them up to overflowing. I sometimes forget that I'm not the Holy Ghost Jr. It's his business to convince people of God's love. It's mine to stay out of his way.
Then there are other times when we need to praise God verbally, loudly, and with fervor, letting all the spiritual world know that God is ours and we are his. There are times when we raise our palm fronds and we declare hosannas for the deliverance that's ours, when we shout adoration, when we glorify the Lord, when we raise a hallelujah and declare his goodness for us all to the world to see. And as I said a few weeks ago, God does inhabit the praises of his people, but in more than that, he inhabits us. We've got one last song that Craig is going to play for us in just a minute. And if you still got your palm fronds, I want you to wave those around. I would love to see a wave offering unto the Lord for his goodness to us, for his deep, deep love and compassion for us, for coming into the world to bring us spiritual deliverance from all sorts of things. Let us praise him this morning so that the stones of the gates of hell cannot condemn us, so that the stones of the gates of heaven will welcome us. Let's praise the champion of heaven, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. Amen? Amen. You know, the first time we came, we came to help this little baby. But the next time he comes, my friend, He's going to come as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And in that day, every eye shall see, and every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that he is indeed Lord. And the marketplace in downtown Birmingham is going to be empty. Yes. No more traffic in the streets. All the builders' tools are silent. No more time to harvest sweet. Busy housewives cease their labors. In our great courtrooms, no more debate. Cause work on earth has been suspended, my friend. As if the king comes through the gate.
you believe that tonight in Birmingham, I want you to get your hands together and praise and celebration for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I can hear the chariots rumble. I can see the mall. 